0: As Gen.AI reshapes industries, understanding and leveraging its capabilities is no longer an option, it's a necessity. And that's exactly why at Hatchworks, we developed our Gen.AI Innovation Workshop. In this workshop, we immerse you into a full day of learning, hands-on ideation, and building. We hit foundational concepts and show you how they relate to your domain. Then we develop actual use cases for your business and your industry. And we even build a custom GPT based on the use cases we define. Check out the link in the show notes or visit Hatchworks.com to get started today. Welcome to Built Right, a podcast by Hatchworks where we help you learn to build the right digital product the right way. In each episode, we'll deconstruct the layers of successful product development, break down popular trends, and offer real advice to help make sure your product is built right? We may not have all the answers, but we've built a lot of digital products across a lot of industries, and we've seen a thing or two. Let's get into it. Today, we're chatting with Erica Chestnut, a true champion of quality. She's been building and leading quality teams for around 15 years now. At places like Cabbage, Turner Broadcasting, Calendly, Realtor.com, to name a few. And that's an awesome list there, by the way, Erica. Uh, and before that, she's led development teams. She was even a developer herself. So I know you're going to fit right in with our Built Right community here, but welcome to the show, Erica.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, excited to get into this topic. This is one we haven't gotten into yet on the Built Right podcast. Today, we're getting into the often Overlooked and sometimes undervalued topic of quality in software development, and the topic of why good process and culture are really at the foundation of good quality. And PS, for everybody listening, stick around. We're going to get Erica's take on her perspective of generative AI and how it's impacting the discipline of quality. I know everybody's talking about it, so we want to get Erica's take on that as well. Uh, but to set up the problem, Erica, you talk about organizations who want to improve their quality are often focused on the wrong thing. So what is this wrong thing and what can they do about it?
1: Yeah, you know, quality is always, not always, that's that's a poor statement. Oftentimes, when people think about quality, they think about the end state and therefore they think about the thing that happened right before the end state, which is oftentimes testing. And so when they say, our quality is not good. They say our testing is not good, or we are not investing in the right type of testing, i.e. manual versus automation, or we don't have enough coverage. Um, we don't have enough code coverage. We don't have enough functional or non-functional testing. But the reality is actually that it starts much further up the stream. And you started to hear about this when, we, you know, when, when the industry was like shift left with testing, But then just like most buzzwords, right? Mm -hmm. Innovation, innovative, right? Like it, it, it's not unpacked. And so now it's like shift left testing. Okay. Well, what does that genuinely mean? And what is the impact of that? Right. So real quick,
0: shift left testing, that's kind of meaning moving quality further up the value stream towards more of the beginning of the process. Is that right for just for listeners?
1: Yes. Yes. But it's not moving quality up, it's moving mm-hmm. the, well, I mean, it is moving quality up, but it's, it's really about moving the validation, the checks, the, the awareness, yeah. right? What is impacting our product quality? And so one thing that I always love to say is that process creates quality, process results in quality, good process, because process creates consistency, and continuity, which results in quality. So when you say moving quality left or further up the chain, people are still thinking testing. Oh, we're testing the requirements. Well, are you checking your process? Are you checking your communication flow? Are you checking your documentation? Does everybody have what they need? Are you checking to make sure that the quality team is not starting the new sprint at a deficit because the engineers didn't start stopping before they started finishing right like you've you've got to shift the idea of what impacts quality what creates poor quality right and it's not just testing
0: yeah and you make a good point because quality is at the end for all intents and purposes that's kind of the last thing let's check everything make sure it's good to go and a lot of times they can be the scapegoat when something goes wrong or doesn't get delivered. And I love how you hit on this concept of process, but to clarify, like a lot of people think like process, they think like tools, but it's not about the tools. Like tools are kind of often, you know, over, you know, it put on a a pedestal in terms of, oh, they'll fix everything, but it's not, it's not about the tools. It's the underlying pieces in, in the process. And I love how you talk about the culture element that comes into play as well.
1: Yeah. And there's definitely tools and, and it's testing that's at the end. It's, it's Mm -hmm. the testing it's quality is the entire thing. So actually I I have to retract my statement. It's not that it's not about moving quality. It is it's quality doesn't need to be moved. Quality is everywhere, right? Yeah. Opportunities to lead with quality are everywhere. So it's not about moving it left or right or up or down. It's, it's about acknowledging that there are opportunities to improve quality in everything? Is it improve quality in our process? Is it improve quality in the tools that we use and how we leverage them? Are they the right tools? Are they answering the right question? Are they implemented in a way that it's cohesive, the not cohesive, that it integrates into our system in a meaningful and impactful way? All of that is quality. All of that produces quality at the end state and they all come together. Like they're, it's not just testing. It all comes together to produce quality.
0: Yeah. So to make this more real, I am curious because you've, you've been in a lot of interesting companies from small to large, and you know, you do some like side consulting stuff uh, in the past, but what examples do you see? Like what are those common pitfalls that companies have, whether it be process related or just in quality in general? Is there anything that's like, I see this every time or this is like a big yeah. thing that typically happens a lot.
1: You know one thing that I see this always it's a it's a, I think a, a pain point for not a pain point. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a pain point for me is that or a pet peeve, that's actually a better word.
0: Because there again, people, pet peeve. people do
1: it's a pet peeve of mine and I see it all the time, the structure of the business is not clear. And it's it's fundamental quality opportunity that is missed when it's it's the structure of the business is not is not clear to the teams or the business flow like the whole like what is what is it what are the boxes that make up the business and how does it flow left to right what are the you know what are the little exits along the way and what happens is not Fully unpacked for the team. And then what we go through, like hiring companies are going through like this massive hiring, these windows, and then we're throwing people in and we're saying, Hey, listen, go to your team. They'll help you. The team has blinders on the team has blinders on and they're like, this is our little world, but we're not providing this big, big, big picture view. For for people to understand at the top level, like this is our this is our business, this is our structure, this is how we talk about ourselves internally, and this is very clearly how it moves down into the organization, um, from a structure and from a a business business flow, like the actual product. And so I I find that that's, those are those are missed opportunities oftentimes, and they don't recognize leadership doesn't recognize that that it's impacting quality, you know, and I'll go into teams and I'm, I'm talking to teams and they're like, I don't know about this. I don't know how this integrates with this other system. I don't know. I had, I had one, one manager say my area, my enterprise area doesn't integrate with this other area, these other, like this main area of our product.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It does. <laughs> it did. Yeah. And they didn't yeah. know it, right? So like, we put on these blinders and you're like, hey, I've got my area and I'm good. It was like, "But are you thinking about how your area integrates with these other areas and what the impact is? And do you understand, or are you mindful yeah. of that?
0: Yeah. So that's the thing that's, I
1: think gets missed.
0: That's interesting, especially, I guess, when you get into larger scaled organizations, but it gets back to like, you know, we talk about a lot about at Hatchworks connecting to the outcome and understanding the outcome. In knowing that at all layers of the organization, it's so important because you have to understand you know what is the business outcome trying to be achieved. But I love your your point around the uh, connection between multiple teams, right? And having yeah. that uh, having that quality uh, understanding between the different organizations. Let's hit on this topic. So, quality and innovation. You know, in my mind, I feel like they can sometimes be at odds. Quality is very much mm-hmm. like you know, process driven, like, you know, rigid's not the right term, but you do want like foundational process and how things are structured. And then on the innovation side, a lot of times, whether it's like business model innovation or, you know, anything like that, you're thinking of breaking process and norms. How do these two play together and how do you create balance between quality and innovation? Those two companies, Yeah.
1: Most companies struggle with that as well. The, the, that, that balance of uh, quality. Q innovation, because obviously the business is running after innovation. That's the, they want to stay ahead in the market. They want to be first to make that next big change. They want to be the unicorn in the space to do that. Sometimes you're running fast and you are focused on like, what's the new whiz bang feature that you have, you know, but that can be, that can be a struggle. It can, it can, it, it can be at the expense of quality. And if we're not looking at it, if we don't pay attention, we're like, listen, just, just innovate, get these, get these new products out, get this out. And you might have the teams, you might have the quality team saying there's a problem with our quality. There's a like There's a problem with our architecture and we're building these new features on top of it. And so these new features are nice and shiny, but we're putting them on top of something that doesn't smell so great. And eventually the new shiny thing will wilt. And it will also smell, right? Because yeah. we're not, we're, we're not considering that we never fixed the actual problem. We never cleaned up the smelly stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and that's part of quality, but it's not just bugs. It's what might create delivery problems. M- what might create inefficiencies? What, what doesn't allow us to roll back quickly if we have problems? How long does a problem linger out there? How many open issues do we have? Just even just meeting acceptance criteria, the turn of how frequently, you know, how long it takes to get something delivered. And then we're making, we're taking shortcuts because the requirements weren't 100% clear. And so we had to go talk to product a lot. And then we went back and forth and we made changes. And then all of a sudden, something that we developed two weeks ago that was actually pretty well-baked has now been hacked at the very end and we're released yeah. out there. And then there's an edge case that we didn't know about, but it's like extreme edge case, right? So it's that innovation, like when you, when you think, are we innovating too quickly over quality? What is the impact of, quali- impact of our innovational quality? Did we release these new features that we, you know, this new functionality, there's new innovation, and do we see a high level of, of defects? Did, do, did our defect density increase? Did our CSAT scores go down because our customers are like, yo, this is broken. You told me about this new hotness and now I'm coming here and it's just broken. Like, well, that sucks. I don't want to use your product anymore. I don't want to tell somebody else about your product, right? We have to balance that. But it's oftentimes a
0: struggle. It's it's almost like quality in a lot of ways is the enabler for innovation. If you don't have that foundation set, it makes innovation that much more difficult, right, to actually do that. And I, I love the, I got a visual in my head. I have a, you know, a one-year-old baby. So when you mentioned the didn't smell so great, that's that's yeah. bringing up some bad memories from last night. Uh, but, uh things were thrown away. I don't want to get into it. Uh, but the you you hit on some other things though, like uh, you know, in our business, and we've done kind of a foundational shift as of late, really focusing on what are our leading indicators versus our lagging indicators? Like what are some good leading indicators in quality? And you mentioned, I think, like some time to resolution and things like that. What are you looking at, whether, you know, lagging or leading that are indicative of either, you know, things are going good or maybe I need to like hone in in a certain area?
1: Yeah. Um, that Like that defect density, right? What's What does is, what is our release health look like? And do we see a lot of releases that are going out and we're seeing our health dip? Are we seeing a lot of releases returned, a lot of rollbacks, reverts, incidents? What's our mean time between failures in production, right? Like these are all alarms. These are red flags that we can look at and say, maybe we're innovating too quickly. Maybe, Maybe we need to slow down. What's causing this? Maybe we need to look, like, were our requirements not fully baked? Were our acceptance criteria not clear? Where was the failure? Did, you know, did we push in something really late that increased effects? Did we not? Is uh, it, ha, What type of failure is happening? Is it a back-end failure? Is it a load capacity issue? These are all things that, like, when we begin to unpack that and we say, hold on, we're seeing an increase here. Let's yeah. look at it. And understand what the problem is so that we can target it, fix it, and then go fast again. Right. Yeah. But often that's tellings... That's a foundational... Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that's a foundational piece is knowing what those metrics are. So you kind of have your, you know, dash dashboard for lack of a better term of your indicators. And then when something's yeah. off, you kind of know where to dig into. And I heard uh, you mentioned the, uh, the defect density. Is that just kind of like volume of defects or is it hitting on something... More specific, yeah,
1: it's, it's volume of defects. So let's say that you know we we've identified two hundred defects in production. And please don't start me mathing because mathing is hard. So we've identified two hundred production. No, it's
0: Friday for us. So we are not getting the math.
1: It's Friday, and it's been a Friday. Yes, yes. Um, just... <laughs> not in a Margaritaville kind of way. Although maybe it needs to be very soon.
0: Yeah, that's that's next. Yeah,
1: but um, like the number of defects, and then. Let's say that we, you know, we, we have kind of a trend. We see that we have, you know, maybe some spikes here and there, um, but we start to recognize that those spikes are happening every time we release to production. That means we're recognizing that we are introducing in every release a spike of, of issues that then we're having to work back down. How do we improve that spike? Like, is there a correlation? And then what is causing that? What are we missing? Do we not have enough automation regression? Are these regression issues? Do, you know, do we not understand our system well enough that we understand the impact of the changes that we're making on downstream areas of the system? What is creating that spike, which is costly because especially if it's like a critical area of the system, generates an incident, You've got no less than ten people jumping into that conversation. You've got the eye of the c t o, the eye of the cmo. So you've got executive leaders, and you've got uh, senior leadership. I mean, this gets really expensive, and they're just looking at it and waiting, right? And, and I mean, they're jumping in, but you know, they' they're they're engaging in the conversation. and then you've got, the management, you know, the the middle management layer. And then you've got the ICs that are implementing potentially the chain, you just got a lot of people in that. It's costly. And so it's like, hey, we're seeing we release and we spike, and then we spend on top of the innovation time to get those spikes back down, or we're leaving them out there, and the customers begin to deal with death by a thousand cuts. Because, I don't know, when it wasn't a big issue, but there are a thousand of them that everywhere, because it's like necks, right? And you're like, yeah. like walking into a...
0: Death by a thousand bugs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to school down in in uh, South Georgia, in Georgia Southern. So I'm used to the gnats. The you can probably yep. sympathize being in Atlanta. You Ge- fear when you're Georgia like, native. can
1: I get around you?
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's a good point though. You talk about, it's like, how do you help the business recognize the value and the impact of processing quality. Yeah. Um, it's almost like it it's before it's too late, I think is the key thing. It's like, how do you help them recognize that value? What what is where have you found success or what are some good things to hone in on to help connect it to business value before it is too late? And then you got all the yeah. C suite breathing down your neck, kind of like you mentioned as a, a scenario nobody wants.
1: Right. Um, it's telling that it's identifying the story of quality within your organization. So hearing from, I love to like, when I come into an organization, I really want to hear, I, I hold what I call my, what the bug meetings and I'm meeting with oh, different like people that. and I'm asking them some, some similar questions, depending on where they are kind of level wise, some are a little bit, you know, more detailed convert questions, some are more strategic. Um, but it, they're still kind of in the same vein and then I'm looking for those those categories. I'm looking for the sentiment in the conversation. I'm looking for the themes to surface to help understand where are the problems because the 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 thing about telling a story is you want it to be compelling. You want it to be interesting. We've all picked up a book before and gotten, you know, maybe a chapter or two in or watched a new series and got into, like the second second half halfway through the second episode. It was like, this just isn't my jam, right? The yeah. story of quality is no different. You have to tell a compelling story. You have to explain it in a way that attaches and connects to the business heart, to what the what leadership is interested in, to the value of the business, which is the customer, which is our revenue, right? You've got to connect it into that conversation. And that takes time. That 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 requires a lot of like moving parts and pieces. But when you when you understand the sentiments, when you get that feedback, you're at least able to say, ooh, you're, you're worried about availability or, ooh, you're worried about, you know, SEO tracking or, you know, um, you want to understand our customer sentiment. Okay, well, how can I get that and surface that information? How can I make that visible through the lens of quality and say, hey, listen, we're tracking this and we, we want to hold the teams accountable to it and start to drive that conversation so you're taking the heart of what the business is interested in and you're moving it through the lens of quality and pushing it back to the teams to say this is something that we need to look at how are you improve how are you helping to improve this
0: you're like a quality marketer. And I promise that's one of the reasons you've been so successful in your career is being able to connect that story. That's so cool. I love that. It is not um, an
1: easy thing to do, right? they not. tell you. No, but it's, it's interesting.
0: It's not. It's interesting. Yeah. But people
1: don't always... the thing, You know, the thing, the interesting thing, though, is the frustrating thing yeah. is that it's not a, like explaining that. I have to go through that. I can't... Like, it's not common. It's not a common expectation. And so... Yeah, I'm like wandering around sometimes saying, what data do you have? What, like, What is the data? And people are like, but why? Like getting this data is hard. And I was like, I know. And I don't really have a why for you yet. I'm actually just trying to see what you're tracking. What do you think quality is? And what do you measure? Because now I want to pull it together into a single cohesive conversation and be like, now when we look at, look at this across the board, hey, we have a problem. Right here, should we focus in on that?
0: Yeah, that's how you connect the dots, right? And one thing you mentioned earlier, you talk about acceptance criteria. And I'm curious mm-hmm. your perspective on this. Uh, when should quality members on the team, whether it's a QA engineer or you know whatever role it may be, when th- should they be engaged in understanding the user stories, requirements, or whatever it may be?
1: At the very beginning, with everybody else. Here's the thing, yeah. with quality, quality team members have the benefit of constantly exercising the entire system. If yeah. somebody knows the ins and outs of your house and you have a problem yeah. or you want to make an addition to your house, wouldn't you call them first?
0: Yeah, exactly. Somebody
1: who's constantly, you know, I'm thinking we just had a problem with our AC and we call somebody that this the... It was the same guy that came out and fixed the AC problem we had last time. I'm not going to talk about the shadiness that that feels like, but we clearly said he was like, yeah, he's talking to my husband. And he's saying, because I wasn't out there, but he was talking to my husband and he was like, yeah, this is what we talked about last time. Here's this, that, and so forth and so on. Like, he knew the problem. Which made getting to the resolution or understanding that, like, just that knowledge push in made it so much quicker to get to the resolution and therefore cost us less money because he's out here less time, right? Yep. That's QA. QA is constantly exercising your system from the customer perspective, which is who we care about.
0: Yeah. QA
1: is connected to the heart of the customer inside the business.
0: It's the health of it, right? And I want everybody to like pause for a second just so you don't miss this point. If you're a scrum master product person or whatever it is, bring your QA folks into these ceremonies early on because to your point, they they can save you a lot of times. They're going to be thinking about something from a different angle that you may not thinking about one. And they're going to be given additional context when they actually are doing the testing, which is going to make their job a lot easier. So anybody that's not doing that bring your QA friends into those conversations earlier on.
1: And I will, I I will point out like one thing that I often have had to do when I'm going into new orgs, when I have a new team, I have to coach inside of my team because the (laughs) QA folks can be wallflowers at times. Some of them can be wallflowers. And so they will come into a conversation and are like, yep, I'm listening. I'm actively listening and sounds odd, but okay, they know what they're talking about. And so I'm just going to wait for it to come to my desk. And mm-hmm. I I've, I have the context. But the QA organization, it's one of the things that I love talking to the QA community about. It's like we are more than just testing and that, that single step in the delivery lifecycle. We provide yeah. that value. We need to speak up. We need to provide the, here's a gotcha. Have you considered this? Have you turned the box in this way? And When you, when, when, you know, when team members, when we're brought into those conversations, ask for that, pull on them, Mm -hmm. get the, you know, request that feedback, like, hey, what do you think? Like, I'm, these, this kind of, these are the boxes. I love to talk about things in, in the form of boxes. So like, this is the box of the flow. These are the boxes of the flow currently. We want to shove one right there. What do you think about that? You know, like, Mm -hmm. what's going to happen? How does that help or harm the journey that, you experience and go through and think about from a customer perspective. Is that good? Is that bad? Like, ask those very specific questions to specifically to the QA team yeah. to to draw them out and get the that insight.
0: And that's a facilitator like uh, tip there. Right? If if you're a Scrum Master product person, yeah. Like one thing that we do in a lot of workshops is we'll we'll always ask around the group. You know, hey uh, Lisa, do you have any clarifying questions or anything like that? Bob, do you? And you go around the full room, and it's funny. A lot of times, you have people say no, but and then they'll go into what's on their mind. So th- yeah. that that's a good tactic to kind of get those, like you mentioned, wallflowers to speak up because they they do have an opinion yeah. and it's a valuable one. A lot of the times. Mm-hmm. All right. So the hot topic right now, everybody's talking about it. Everybody and their mom. Generative AI, you know, we're playing around with uh, GitHub Copilot and some other tools at Hatchworks, but I'm curious, what is your uh, perspective, thoughts, theory, whatever it may be, uh, a prediction on how generative AI will impact the quality assurance discipline positively, negatively, how it evolves? What's Which, your hot take?
1: It's significant. It's significant. The thing to remember with all of, of the technologies, these are tools in our toolbox. You know, I've heard, yeah. heard the conversations, people in and out of QAO. Oh, you know, the end of testers, the end of all of these things. But AI has been building in the quality space for years now. For years. Yeah. You know, chat GPT. I love some, some chat GBT, right? Like, just being able to ask questions, it is another way to turn the box. It's it's another way to leverage a tool to help us better communicate, to help us quickly write scripts. But just in general, like this this generative AI, like the conversation around it, automated um, uh, routine testing. It's like it's just generate generative AI can create new test cases. That mimic yeah. the variety of user behavior and edge cases. Let it do it, right? Yeah. We're still, right. but humans yeah. still need to be in the conversation because we still need to analyze that. We need to, AI can handle those routine tasks, but we are analyzing it as humans, but it, it changes our role. And that's the thing. Like it doesn't go away, it changes our role so that we can. It could be more cognitive. We can, we can literally sit with something and think about it as opposed to yeah. this is mundane. This is redundant. You know, what, what, what people have said years ago, you're just banging on testing. It's just banging on a keyboard, which it, not, it has never been. It is not. Yeah. But it gets us even further away from that idea because now we're like, let the machine take the inputs and generate something and then let us tweak it to be more informed more intuitive, more human. Let it let let us use the machine to do predictive analysis, analyzing historical data to predict potential problem areas. Let it um, enhance performance testing or increasing QA accuracy, unbiased testing. This is a big one. So
0: go, go further into that.
1: So the story right when when the Apple Watch came out eventually became one of the stories was like Women are the biggest users of it. I don't have data points. It's been so many years. Um, women are the biggest users of this, but it does not have uh, it does not have period monitoring on it. Mm-hmm. But yet, women are the biggest users. It was a miss, right? Because yeah. women were not included in that product team. They were not included in the usability testing. They're Like that. That this was a miss, a big miss. And when it was added, and like, from, women were like, you know, hallelujah, saying, yeah, right. But we have these bias, you know, especially it's like you talk about like people, you know, in the D&I DE, space. And when you think about accessibility, I've had bias. There's, there's, we all have them. I, I don't, I don't know what it feels like or what to consider directly. When it comes to screen reading, not being able to read the screen, I don't know like what is better, what is a better experience, but that could be programmed into AI, right? And there's like having unbiased testing supported with AI and then being able to like be a lead, taking that information from like leaders in the space who understand it and plug those in as models that um that ai can use right so like there's so 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 much opportunity to make it to leverage this tool to create more efficiency to create more impact to be more valuable in the organization but we've got us we can't be scared of it we can't be scared we yeah. need to look at it and be like listen you are mine and i am going to like i know that you're a hammer and there is a nail i am not going to use yeah. you yeah you know, to do these other things, but I'm going to use you, nail everything in because I know how you work.
0: Yeah, no, this is great. And I love this. You kind of have the eternal optimist uh, mindset versus the pessimistic, you know, it's going to take everybody's job. And I love that because it's, it's an enablement view of, it gets me out of like the mundane, like stuff I don't want to be doing. And it yeah. up levels us as humans. It's that, and that's why I love how it's positioned as you know, we, people talk about it as a co-pilot, you know, we, we're still in charge, yeah. uh, um, but it, it, but it's helping enhance what we're doing. So yeah, really exciting stuff. You know, I, I, I love where this is, um, going and I love that you're testing it and playing around with the tool versus like waiting. Cause I think that's where so many people miss is once right. it becomes mainstream then it's like too too late and you're like trying to play catch up mode right
1: yeah i mean transparently listen i when it first came out um i was playing around with it and i was like okay here's a requirement write a test case um or tell me tell me what the acceptance criteria for this requirement mm-hmm. is and it two seconds rattled some stuff off and i was like those are decent yeah. all right tell me yeah. what the question now they <laughs> use it to tell me what the test cases are for this and it, two seconds later, rattled off some pretty decent test cases. Yeah, you know, wh- and 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 I say that decent test cases with it not being informed, especially before it was act- had access to the internet, but it really not being informed and just going off of like, well, if we're talking about this thing, right? If, if you've told me this is the requirement and giving it enough information to be informed enough so it doesn't just say, well, you're gonna have to log into the system, so do that, right? Yeah. But instead, like, well, if you're, you know, if if you're doing this functionality, here are some things that you'd want to to connect. And then really deep diving in and saying, well, what are some non-functional versus functional? Like, what is security? Um, what type of performance testing? How would I test these APIs? What type of data should I use? Uh, where should I, what are some considerations? And just continuing the conversation, that was fun. Yeah. But it was scary at first because I was like, oh, yeah, snapples, like.
0: Yeah, it's it's it, it. Like you said, it's it's like wow, this is this is decent. But what, Ab, connecting back to a point you made earlier, where you had the example of somebody kind of being uh, blinders on, focus into yeah. just their organization, they didn't think about how they were impacting others. Like this, this could be a use case right here where generative AI and the tools we're using do have that purview across the entire organization to kind of say, hey. Are you considering this? Yeah, you know that may be outside of your your discipline. So, like, that's an interesting kind of use case for this as it starts to evolve. I, I think it's yeah. really exciting. Where, like, where I, it I go. want us
1: to get into the point where we're able to feed it, you know, privately feed it information, and say, okay, now yeah. that you understand this ecosystem, now that you understand our structure, our business flow, our business model right now that you understand that what should we innovate on what are the concerns with our product like now you've analyzed our tests and how our tests are performing should we innovate or should we fix tech debt and what's the impact what's the financial impact like ai can start to answer all of those questions just at a just as a few keystrokes like that is so so exciting Um, being able to like, and I'm not saying like to get to that point is significant. I get that. Right. Like, what is the data that we feed it? How do we feed it that data? How do we protect privacy and the security and all of that stuff? I get that. Yeah. But man, Jetson's opportunity there. Like,
0: yeah. I I always think back to like the beginning of, you know, cell phones where they were to where they are today. It's like, nobody could have imagined where we are today. where like, where the internet's gone. I think it's going to be the same thing with generative AI in a lot of ways. So it's going to be fun to watch.
1: I mean, that iPhone, right? Like that's what, that's what generative AI is. It's like that point. And then all products now, all phones follow that same view. Every phone is that, you know, smartphone view based off of what Apple did. Nobody has a Razer flip phone. I mean, some do still have, but you know, I remember the Verizon little like
0: Yep. brick thing yep. that
1: split up and stuff like that that yes. was the cool thing not yeah. more right like everybody sidekick yeah that's what yeah generative ai that's where we're at right now and it's i cannot mm-hmm. wait.
0: that's awesome wait. all right so let's do a couple of quick rapid fire questions to wrap it up okay. um, first thing that comes to mind so uh what company is doing qa right like which is there uh, somebody in the community that you're like oh they're they're really good at
1: it I, that's not that's not a fair question it's, not, <laughs> it, it, um, it's subjective right like everybody's doing something right i'm mean, gonna can, can i can i plead the fifth everybody's doing something right Everybody yes. has opportunity yeah. um you know i worked at Lee. i'm gonna say Lee's doing it right <laughs> um, yeah
0: shout out Calendly the know? local Atlanta yeah yeah
1: um you know teams are teams are looking looking to improve there's you know there's a lot of great things that Realtor is doing there's still opportunity yeah. there's opportunity at Calendly there was opportunity at Cabbage right it's just about the focus and um so yeah I'm gonna complete the fifth
0: cool no those those are good answers what about uh, individuals is there anybody in the QA community that you follow or you know think is is uh influential
1: angie jones is oh, okay. amazing uh lisa crispin and janet gregory are the agile queens like just nice i mean that they have the bible um three of them actually on agile testing and processes um come kind of top of mind for me for sure like those I- like
0: it's it send, send their LinkedIn to, me. we'll put them in the show notes for, for some okay. folks who may be interested to start following them. Yeah. And what's one thing that you wish you could go back to like your former self and give some advice, uh, to your former self. If you could go back.
1: It's usually not about, it's not about quality. It, um, didn't, ha- it
0: didn't have to be, it'd be anything.
1: Um, own what, you know, don't worry yeah. about what like you that. know, own what, yeah. you know, because what, you know, is impactful. It's important yeah. and it's valuable. And when you spend time worrying about what you don't, you don't celebrate and champion and communicate to others what you are excellent at. And therefore, you don't continue to hone it. It's okay to know that, that you have what, like, you know. what the gaps are if you want to work towards filling them. But some gaps, like, I don't, I don't want to learn how to surf. And that's okay. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a surfer. And I don't want to learn how to surf. I like to swim. And I want to learn how to become a better swimmer still Mm -hmm. in water. Right. So it's like, Hey, what are you, what are you excellent at? And what are your, where do your passions lie? So own what you know, and lean into that and and don't worry about, don't worry about. what. I love
0: that. And one thing you mentioned earlier, and just to wrap it up, like one thing I, I love about your, your experience, what you do is you're, um, you know. Involvement in kind of women in tech and the diversity and inclusion space. Anything to speak about there? I see you're kind of involved with the women in tech and career coaching there. Anything that you are either excited about within this space or, you know, how you're helping folks in this area?
1: Yeah, I, you know, as a woman in tech myself, (laughs) um, I've spent the better part of my career being the only woman in the room, especially as a leader being the only yeah. woman in the room, um, also being the only Black person in the room. And that can be difficult. It has been difficult. And I've had to learn how, how to manage my, uh, my own imposter monster. I've had to yeah. learn how to manage my voice and showing up the way that is right for me and not worrying so much about what others, how others think I should should show up. I had somebody tell me I should be more docile and quiet because certain gender should be docile and quiet, no. that I should modulate my tone. Um, and so I'm passionate about coaching women especially because I spent a lot of my career not being confident about who I was and how I showed up and second guessing and not speaking up when I should have spoke up or... Or not owning what I knew, you know, um, yeah. and so I'm 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 excited about that, and I I love to talk to women about that and in the space and and help them.
0: Yeah, and the community element's so important too, I think. Right, having that community of folks that are going through, you know, the same thing and trade stories. And I got two young daughters at home, so I appreciate you kind of pioneering the way for <laughs> for women in tech as they as they come up. You're an awesome, awesome role model there. Uh, But where, uh, just to wrap it up, where can people find you, whether it be LinkedIn or kind of what you're doing, anything you want to plug here? Uh, Yeah,
1: I'm Erica Chestnut on LinkedIn. Please, please, please feel free to reach out. I love to talk about quality. Um, I'm a bit of a dork about it. And uh, obviously, I love to talk about women in tech uh, in general. Uh, But you can also reach out to me at ericachestnut.com. Um, That's where you'll learn a little bit about my leadership consulting and my women in tech coaching and my quality leadership consulting and coaching, uh, all things I love to do. I'm really passionate about coaching and supporting people, either women in tech or in the coaching or, excuse me, in the quality sphere. Um, Feel free to reach out. I'm around.
0: Awesome, Thanks, Erica. Appreciate the conversation. Thanks for joining Built Right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Built Right. If you enjoy the show, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. For more info on Built Right, visit us at hatchworksbuiltright.com. Big news, season two of the Built Right podcast is right around the corner, launching on February 6th. And in this season, we're going all in on generative AI. The guest list is insane, ranging from international AI speakers, founders of Gen AI products, experts in specific domains of Gen AI, and leaders across industries. And we'll even have some Hatchworks-owned Gen AI leaders as we dig into our generative-driven development methodology. This season isn't just for non-techies, though. Whether you're an AI guru or just AI curious, we're going to bring tactical, real-world applications of how you can apply Gen AI in your work and your life that anyone can understand and relate to. And P.S., Gen. AI will impact every single industry. So no matter your domain, you need to make sure you set a reminder every other week to listen to the next episode of the Built Right Podcast. While you're waiting for season two, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. And give us a follow on LinkedIn to join the conversation and give us ideas on specific Gen. AI topics you wanna hear about. So get ready, Built Right season two Gen. AI edition is coming your way.